tits up is both an expression used when things have gone terribly wrong and a phrase coined as a rallying cry to stand up straight, own the stage and knock them dead. There are few things in this world that can make your life go tits up more quickly than a breast cancer diagnosis, especially AYA or adolescent and young adult breast cancer. This podcast is meant to give us AYAs a feeling of community, understanding and power, helping us to walk into each day with a feeling of tits up. We are not medical professionals and are not giving medical advice. Everyone's experience with cancer is very different. And just because we did something one way does not mean that is necessarily the way you should do it. If you have any questions about your health and well-being, please contact your doctor. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, if you are listening in. It is Sam and Megan for the first week on Tits Up. We are going to introduce ourselves by way of talking about our own stories of breast cancer diagnoses and treatment as women under 40. Hello. Sam, take it away. Oh, sorry. Hello, (laughs) and welcome to our podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Megan. It feels so great to finally do this. Um, Sam and I have been talking about doing this podcast for quite some time. Uh, We want to focus this podcast on AYA breast cancer patients. And for those of you who don't know, because it's very overwhelming to pick up all the lingo at first, AYA is adolescent and young adult cancer. Um, So for AYA AYA breast cancers, there are a lot of age-specific issues that need to be sorted through um, that can change the trajectory of your life in a way that just frankly doesn't happen to older women. Um, We want to create this space for us younger women to discuss, laugh, cry, and bounce ideas off of each other. any breast cancer, di- any cancer, but you know, a breast cancer diagnosis is incredibly difficult, personal, and a life-changing experience. So we're just kind of hoping that by sharing our stories and the stories of other people on this podcast, that we can help each other out when we are feeling confused, isolated, frustrated, and simply terrified. Um, all right, so let's do this, Sam. Since this is our first week. Why don't you take it away? Tell us a little bit about your stuff, a little bit about yourself, um, how old you are, what's your background, and when you were diagnosed. All right. Um, hello, everybody. Hello, Megan. Um, I am from the East Coast. I am 25 now, and I was 23 when I was first diagnosed, which was back in March. Or, yeah. I think that's right. <laughs> March of 2022, um, when I was diagnosed, um, I was in the military for four years, um, and I'm a contractor now. So this definitely took me by complete surprise. <laughs> oh my God, 23. That is so young. I was, yeah, um, I, sorry, keep going. No, no, it's okay, Megan. I, I uh, didn't, such a weird reaction every time somebody says that because I know it seems so young, but it's just been my reality for, you know, the better part of two years now. So it's normal to me. <laughs> yeah, it's weird how that uh, normalcy starts to sink in after a while. I didn't think in the beginning that this would ever be normal, that I would never, ever be quote unquote normal again. Um, I am 35 or I'm 37. <laughs> 
I was, I wish I was 35 when I was diagnosed. Um, I am an attorney in Colorado, but originally from Michigan. I'm actually at my mom's house in Michigan right now visiting. Um, I have an incredible husband, a rock solid group of friends. Um, and I, at my diagnosis, like I said, I was 35. I ended up having a double mastectomy. Um, and then I ended up having a total hysterectomy. So now I am riding the menopause train <laughs> with uh, hot flashes, mood swings, whiskers in places that never existed. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> uh, one of the things that people with and without cancer always seem to want to know first when I tell them is, how did you find the cancer? What were your symptoms? Um, so Sam, why don't you talk about yours? Right. So uh, to be honest, Megan, I actually noticed my lump about eight months prior to going to the doctor and actually doing a physical exam. So it was palpable for about, like I said, eight months. Um, and I finally decided to go to the doctor and I didn't have a primary care doctor at the time. So I booked the, I booked an appointment at the closest doctor's office to me <laughs> and I said, Hey, I need a breast exam due to a palpable breast lump. And I also want the next one on taken out because I had a birth control bar and I just had wanted it taken out because it had been, you know, due for time. So they said, okay, you know, we'll, we'll see you, you know, in a few days. I said, okay, came in for my appointment. She said, yeah, there's, there's definitely a lump there, but I'm not sure what it is. And there's no way to tell other than it's solid and not moving. So she referred me to get an ultrasound and a mammogram and told me she would call me next week. <laughs> that was kind of how my first appointment went with the doctor that I approached about the lump that turned out to be cancer. Yikes. That that waiting is just horrible when they say, you know, you'll find out in a week or you'll find out they could even say tomorrow and it's still debilitating, just going back and forth in your head of what this could possibly be. Yeah, Megan, it was definitely a whirlwind of emotions because uh, she was kind of unfazed by it, but also curious because I was so young and it was about three centimeters, so about the size of a large grape slash walnut. So she was definitely curious <laughs> about what was going on there. Um, my first appointment was definitely a whirlwind experience, Megan. Um, why don't you tell me about how you found out about your cancer? Oh, man. Um, so I have a lot of breast cancer in my family. Um, and about, oh, I want to say like eight years ago, I ended up going and getting the um, BRCA genetic test just because pretty much everybody in my family has it. So I got the test and it came back negative and I was floored. I didn't think in a million years it was going to come back negative, but obviously I was thrilled. So Megan, I, just, yeah. can I uh, interrupt for those of us who don't know what a BRCA test is? Can you briefly? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So the it, it's the genetic um, <laughs> mutation, I guess. And it's it's BRCA and people call it BRCA. 
and I believe there's BRCA1 and BRCA2. BRCA1 is associated with breast cancer and BRCA2 is associated with um, ovarian and uterine cancer, I think. Um, again, not a doctor, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that's how that works. So I got the genetic test to see if I had that mutation that would lead to cancer later on down the road. Um, so thank you for asking. That's that's a really good point. Um, thank you so, for explaining, Megan. <laughs> so it came back negative and I thought maybe I was adopted or something because everybody in my family has it. How did I not have it? I, again, thrilled, but very confused. Um, so I kind of just kept going on my life now expecting not to get breast cancer. Um, it had always felt like a when, not an if for me because of my family history. So I just kept living life and didn't think that it was going to happen. Um, thankfully, I had an incredible OBGYN and she insisted that each year I still get a mammogram just to be safe. Um, I didn't think it was necessary, but I, I, when I did get my mammogram, it was about six months late and I was supposed to get it in usually around January, February, and I went in June of 2021. And there was no reason um, for me to think that anything was wrong. It was just time. And a friend of mine, her mom had recently been diagnosed with breast cancer. So I decided, all right, all right, I'll, I'll go. It's time. It's overdue, in fact. So I went um, and the mammogram didn't show anything, surprisingly. The mammogram was fine. But because I have dense breast tissue and ladies out there with dense breast tissue um, always ask for an ultrasound. And Sam, you mentioned getting an ultrasound as well. So they didn't find anything in the mammogram because my lump was so close to my chest wall. So because of that, they did the ultrasound and I noticed that the technician kind of skimming past a part on my breast. And then, you know, she kept kind of going and looking around. She kept coming back to the same spot and marked it. And she went and talked to the doctor afterwards and they told me to come in the next day for a biopsy. And as we all know, <laughs> I think nothing in healthcare goes quickly. So when they want you to come in the next day, that was kind of a red flag and a little alarm bell for me. Um, so I went in the next day, had the biopsy, and we can kind of talk about biopsies in a second, but went in for the biopsy. That was on a Thursday. And then the next Tuesday, I got a phone call and I was in a meeting with my boss and my paralegal. And I didn't think in a million years it was going to be cancer. Like, why, why would it be? I didn't, I was so young. I was 35. I didn't have the BRCA gene. Um, so I quick answered the phone. I threw it on. I have, I always have my phone on speaker. It's annoying to everybody else, but I threw my phone on, on speaker. And I was like, Hey, this is Megan. I did too. <laughs> <laughs> and this woman was, uh, she was very sweet and obviously very hesitant. And she just said, Megan, honey, um, are you sitting down? And I said, Oh God, yes. And she said, honey, you have breast cancer. You have what's called invasive ductal carcinoma. 
And at that point, I pretty much just blacked out. And I'm so glad that I did have my phone on speaker because my paralegal, bless her heart, just started taking all sorts of notes, um, what she was telling me and sent me the notes afterwards. And at that point, I just uh, called it a day because it was 10 in the morning. And I said, I don't think I should be working the rest of the day. And my boss said, no, 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 no. You're going home. You're going home immediately. Um, took a fat Xanax and then regrouped and called my OBGYN to help me set up my, my care team to figure out where, where do we go from here? What is my life? What is going on? Right. It's so wild to me, Megan, that you felt like the lucky duck for lack of a better term in your family, because you didn't have the gene and then, you know, kind of. I'm, I'm sure that made you gaff off your mammogram <laughs> and screening a little bit too, right? Because yes. like, oh, I don't need that anymore. Yeah, and... I, was, I was very flippant. <laughs> I was very flippant about it. I didn't think that it was going to happen. Um, so I was, I was shocked. And then you went in for the mammogram and then the ultrasound. It, it's so crazy how fast it trickles down and then <gasps> bam. You're a cancer patient. You go from everyday life, working, living, paying bills, adult to cancer patient immediately. It's it's wild. It's a completely different way of living life. And I don't mean that in the whole like, oh, now you have a new lease on life and people get, you know, people tend to think that people that um, get sick, whether it's with you know a terminal illness or kind of a chronic illness or cancer or something like that, have this whole new view on you know the wondrous aspects of life and so on and so forth. And I think back on how I was and I was I was so mad. I was so angry and people wanted to talk to me about it constantly and see how I was feeling and see how I was doing, which of course I love and appreciate but I was not in a position for a very, very long time to have any real discussions about my feelings or emotions or how I view life and all of that. Um, Cause I was just pissed. I was just very, very angry for a long time. I mean, did you have the same sort of thing? Megan, I'm, I'm still angry. I'm over here. Grumbling. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but really, I, I think I would like to say that, but in all reality, I don't think it ever goes away because it's something that we live with every single day, especially a scare of reoccurrence that's not not guaranteed, yeah. <laughs> if that makes sense. Oh, um, it makes it makes total sense to me. I am I was never a hypochondriac. I was never anybody that thought that there was anything wrong. In fact, there was one time years ago, I had to have my gallbladder removed. I've been having gallbladder attacks or whatever they're called for months until it was about to explode. And I basically crawled myself into the ER. I just wasn't listening to my body. You know, it, I, I've never really thought that anything was wrong and that anything would be wrong. And then all of a sudden for this to happen, it, everything now is wrong. And even when you're quote unquote better, you know, no evidence of disease or um, remission, as a lot of people call it. Um, even when you feel like everything is fine, I might have a twinge somewhere in my chest or I get a headache and I'm like, ah, it came back, it metastasized. And, you know, this is 
this is the beginning of the end. You know, it's turned me into quite the hypochondriac. <laughs> and I, I don't love it. I definitely right. don't love it. No, I definitely echo what you say about not listening to your body or anything being wrong. I was, like I said, in the military. So I was in peak health when I got diagnosed. There was no reason for me to think that something was wrong other than the palpable <laughs> lump that was on my chest. Right. Everybody around me was telling me was not cancer. So what was the need to get it screened if it if it wasn't cancer? Right. Yeah. So I waited for a while. (laughs) Um, Nothing prepares you kind of for that moment until you ultimately realize yourself that something is wrong and you need to go and do something about it. And you have no idea how the trajectory of your life will change after that. And there's yeah. nothing to prepare you for that. No, no. I mean, it's it's helpful. Like I had a social worker that reached out to me from the hospital um, right after my diagnosis and right after I had, you know, started kind of putting together my team. And for those out there, what I mean by team is my oncologist, my oncology surgeon, so the one that actually did my double mastectomy, and my plastic surgeon, the one that did the full reconstruction. Um, But a social worker reached out, and of course, they have tons of pamphlets. (laughs) Um, They have tons of information for you. But honestly, I don't think I read much of any of it. Because again, just very angry. I didn't want to fall into this category. How in my mind, how could I possibly be falling into this category of cancer patient, especially breast cancer patient? Um, it it turns your life into something that is overly difficult and confusing constantly. And no matter how much information somebody gives you, it, it still doesn't quite make sense. It doesn't quite compute. Um, I didn't feel like I was Well, I was going to say, I don't, I didn't feel like I was done being a cancer patient for a long time, but honestly, I still feel like a cancer patient. And it's been about a year and a half since my last surgery. It's on my mind every single day, every creak, every groan in my body, every like slight pain. I just kind of freak out. Yeah, Megan, I kind of see it as you'll always be a cancer patient. I will always be a cancer patient, even if it is no longer present in my body. It always has the ability to return, just like it sporadically appeared. Exactly. <laughs> it's it's frightening. <laughs> um, I mean, going through everything that you went through, what what advice do you have for people that find themselves recently diagnosed and with all of those questions of like, oh shit, this just happened. I I don't know what to do. I don't know where to start. Right. I think the most important thing when you're first diagnosed is to go to whatever your comfort place is, whether that's research. For me, that was research and work. So I was like, oh snap, breast cancer, Google. Yep. (laughs) 23-year-old cancer, Google. Correlation there. Okay. And then... After you get your initial diagnosis of breast cancer, whichever cancer it may be, um, you will also get subsequent pathology results that tell you, you know, the receptors that your cancer looks for uh, and is 
what they say fed by. <laughs> um, yeah, go into that receptor thing real quick for people that don't know. Um, just diagnosed. Right. So when you get diagnosed with cancer, first of all, there's obviously many types of cancer and breast cancer. Um, IDC, which Megan and I both have, but there's also um, invasive lobular um, carcinoma. Um, and then there's different subtypes. So you have triple negative cancer, which means it's, you know, estrogen and progesterone negative and HER2 negative. And then you could have hormone positive, which is estrogen and progesterone positive, or maybe just estrogen positive, uh, progesterone negative and HER2 negative. You could have triple positive, which is what I have, which is positive for um, estrogen, progesterone, and HER2 positive. And did I miss any, Megan? No, I think I think you got them all there. <laughs> There, yeah, there's so many possible variations yes. on it. And, you know, when when we say estrogen or progesterone positive, my understanding of that is to in a very lay person type of explanation. Um, I've always understood it to mean that estrogen in my body uh, feeds the cancer and kind of works as, you know, um, a steroid for the cancer. And I don't mean steroid in like a medical way. I just mean like, you know, it makes it grow and get bigger. Um, over time. And so I had estrogen and progesterone positive. So what that means is we need to basically take away all of my estrogen and all of my progesterone in order to keep cancer at bay and keep it from coming back, um, which can very quickly turn into um, menopause, which is where I'm at. But um, yeah, like you said, you also have triple uh, positive, triple negative, because that third component there is HER2. And Sam, you have uh, triple positive. I did not have, um, I was negative for HER2. So can you explain what HER2 is? Um, yes. So the way I understand it is HER2 is a naturally occurring growth hormone that everybody has. When it becomes a problem is when it begins to overproduce uh, in my case, which is what can, can contribute to cancer. There's cancer that is just HER2 positive, which used to be considered very, very aggressive, just as much so as triple negative breast cancer because of the lack of treatment options available with newer air quotations around newer breast cancer drugs and immunotherapies out, HER2 has become much less scary for the medical community and I think HER2 positive breast cancer patients as well. Okay. Yeah, that's that's always been the confusing one for me. But again, you know, like you only have so much capacity when you are first diagnosed. So you just focus on the things that affect you personally, which is why, you know, we have every intention throughout this podcast to be bringing in other people to talk to us and to explain to people out there all the different types and variations and different ways that you can handle all of this. Um, you know, my, my take on this, what I want people to kind of take away from just this very first episode where we just kind of introduce ourselves by way of our own diagnosis um, is to not be afraid to ask questions and advocate for yourself. It is incredibly overwhelming and you feel like a completely different person 
all of a sudden, you know, you went from just living your life to all of a sudden being a cancer patient and staring down the barrel of chemo and radiation and reconstruction. Um, you know, how <laughs> I remember I went out and I bought just a whole bunch of different supplements because I didn't know. I was like, oh, I got to be healthy all of a sudden, you know, turkey tail, turkey tail. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. So, you know, it's um, my first course of action was going to my oncology surgeon. And as I mentioned before, I got the name of my oncology surgeon the one that ended up doing the mastectomy, I got her name from my OBGYN. And I'm so in love with my OBGYN. I asked her, if I was your daughter, who would you want me to go to? And she gave me this name. Um, for those in Denver, Dr. Kayla Griffith is <laughs> incredible. Um, and I hope to have her on this podcast at some point. But you know, my first visit with her between curse words and sobs and throwing up on the way there because <laughs> I'm such a mess. We decided um, at that first appointment who the plastic surgeon and who the oncologist was going to be. I feel like getting those getting those uh, decisions out of the way of who your team is going to be is probably the easiest way to go about it because now you have specific individuals that you can ask questions of and get into their offices and start having appointments. Um, I know a lot of people sometimes need a minute and they might not take that action for the first you know, week or so, but I did meet a lady one time and she just couldn't get herself to go to the doctor. Um, she found out that she had cancer and then she didn't know what to do. And the way that humans and animals do, we do fight flight or freeze, she just froze. So I would highly recommend if you need a moment, take a moment. And by a moment, I mean a few days, but don't wait for a very long time because that ended up being detrimental to her. Right. Yes. I, I definitely echo that, Megan. Not waiting is very important. Even when you're going through treatment, it's very easy to get caught up in everyday mundane life on top of being a cancer patient and not want to reach out and ask about what symptoms you're experiencing and if they're normal, which most of the time they are, but they aren't <laughs> for the situation, right? Because you never expected to have cancer in the first place. So <laughs> everything's probably a little abnormal at that stage, but I definitely think finding your team gives you a sense of security when you're first diagnosed that you have a plan of action, you know who you're going to go to, where do all my concerns go? This is the person, you know, it's almost like a blame person as well, because if this doesn't work, you know, they're the ones who told me to do it. Yeah, <laughs> they're the ones who gave me this treatment, right? Um, so I've always kind of liked that part of it. But I definitely dove into the research and I fact-checked, you know, my doctors having multiple opinions was very important to me. Trusting one person's opinion about something that literally would kill me if I did nothing seems absurd to me. Yeah. yeah, to, I mean, for me, my biggest thing was, you know, I figured that where I was, you know, a, a bigger city, there were more than enough people that could probably do this the right way for me. So, you know, just for me personally, and you and I are 
you know, kind of the same, but I think I'm more on like the emotional side of things. I wanted a team um, specifically for me, and I'm not saying this for everybody, but I'm just saying for me specifically, I wanted a team of all women and I wanted a team that I could be incredibly real with. I could curse in front of, I could cry in front of, and I didn't feel judged. Um, and thankfully I found that. Um, but the biggest thing for me is feeling heard, you know, that I, I don't feel like I'm screaming into the void, so to speak with them. You know, I, I ask a question, I say something and they answer it directly. And that has been invaluable to me through all of this. Um, and you know, I, I know that I'm partial, but I do feel like in doing so, I found one of the best teams in the Denver area. I mean, they are incredible, but also for me, having women is really helpful. I mean, you know, I, <laughs> we'll have a whole podcast on this, but the, uh, the whole thing of like, you know, you're going to feel some pressure or you might feel this, you might feel that I want somebody that actually knows what that's going to feel like, <laughs> you know, not somebody just guessing. And for me, that's, that's women. Right. I totally understand that Megan. Um, I had a team of all women as well, at least in the beginning. Um, <laughs> that's another story for another day. But I definitely felt very secure by all of those women and comforted and heard and seen and all of the things you're talking about as well. So I will echo that benefit and couldn't imagine having that, you know, all throughout my experience. But I didn't. But I, I did have my oncologist all the way through. So, well, almost. I'm still doing chemo, but almost all the way through. So, yeah, you're still good. in the shit. You're still in it. <laughs> it's the pig shit, and I'm fucking rolling in it. <laughs> yum, yum, mask for more. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't want to sugarcoat any of this. So, I mean, it all just, it just sucks. There's, there's no way this doesn't suck. And I think, you know, like I said, the biggest thing is first, as soon as you've been diagnosed, I, you know, do the, do your research, do what makes you feel comfortable. I'm the same way. I want to research things to make me feel comfortable, but finding that good team that you feel very comfortable with, I think is very, very important. Um, yes. Yeah. I think every breast cancer patient should have the ultimate dream team that they want. And that's something I actually notice in the breast cancer groups that we're on is, you know, care is limited to availability for lack of a better term. Um, yep. And availability is more often than not seemingly sparse. Yes. Yup. I think, I mean, unfortunately there's just so many cancer patients and so many specifically breast cancer patients. Um, I mean, the, the way, like I mentioned earlier, the way that I found mine was by asking somebody, another doctor of mine that I already trust. I already know and trust. So even if, you know, you don't, I know some of my girlfriends don't have an OBGYN, which is absurd. And I stay on top of them all the time telling them they need to get one. But even if you don't have an OBGYN, if you have, you know, a general practitioner or something like that, reach out to them and say, hey, this is the situation that I find myself in. Who do you recommend? And I'm sure that they will have a number of names. Um, otherwise, you know, hopping on Facebook and joining some of these groups and saying, hey, I'm in 
in my case, the Denver area or, you know, New York or LA or something, you know, who's, who else here is in that area? And can I talk to you? Can we have a chat offline? Um, and you know, it's, it's women helping women. And, you know, to me, there's nothing more powerful. And we, we all tend to kind of gather around each other and try to help each other. So get, get a number of names, meet with a number of people, um, that make you feel well taken care of and not just another number, because not only are you not just another number, but you are a very young (laughs) number. You know, you are, you're going to have a lot of things that um, older women will not need to think about. And you're going to have to tackle it as an AYA breast cancer patient. Yes, that that's right. Um, more often than not, in my experience, doctors are used to dealing with older, grumpier, maybe more sick patients. Um, so their level of care shows that. Yeah. And I definitely think that bringing more awareness that there's a whole community of women that are suddenly getting diagnosed with cancer with no reason why will bring some awareness and maybe some tender bedside manner to our fellow healthcare professionals. Yes, it's it's so necessary. Because yeah, I was a train wreck. And I think, I mean, another quick side note is so often people try to handle this with grace, you know, and handle it um, in a way that is, quote unquote, inspiring to other people. And I, I, I've been told by my husband that I handled it well, (laughs) but I was very real about it. I don't think that I was able to mince words about my feelings and emotions about the whole thing. And I, if you don't have a safe outlet to express your emotions and your feelings about it in a very real way, um, maybe have that also be one of the first things that you do. Um, I went to a rec room or what, what are they called? Like where they give you things to break with bats and stuff. And that was very oh, helpful. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think a rec room. Yeah. I think, I think a rec room destruction I, zone. Yeah. something like that. <laughs> There are a few around here and I went with one of my girlfriends and I just threw on some really angry music from the early two thousands and just went to town and afterwards, I had a blast while I was doing it, but afterwards I just cried and cried and cried. And it was one of the most cathartic things that I think I did throughout the entire cancer experience um, because it really finds, it, it helps your emotions find a way out. And you know, some people are not as aggressive as me and that is fine, but do find a place or a person or a number of people that you feel comfortable being completely real with and um, expressing yourself in the way that is the most beneficial and helpful for you. Right. I also think perspective while you're going through that is important. When I logged on and I was like, who do I talk to about this? It's easy to find somebody who's postmenopausal that has had breast cancer or that has had an experience with breast cancer but it is not very common to find somebody under the age of 40 that has had breast cancer. Um, 
That being said, the breast cancer groups on Facebook that were specifically targeted for younger women really helped me because I felt like I was a one percenter, right? And in a way, yes, but also it was more so like there were women the same age as me that were diagnosed stage four. Oh, God. Yep. So backspace, 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 backspace. Um, And not for any other reason than I suddenly was grateful. Cancer gives you weird, weird moments. One of my first appointments walking into my oncologist's office, everybody's looking. It's full because cancer is ever so prevalent. Uh Um, And this woman and her husband came in and he was helping her walk. And it was clear that there was something very, you know, wrong or wrong with her because her ability to walk was very poor. Um, And he sat her down on the chair, had to go to work, you know, said he would pick her up after, called her name for her appointment and she stood up to walk and it it brought tears to my eyes like I have never experienced before. In that moment, I could not be more grateful that I had breast cancer and yeah. not whatever, you know, was going on with her. Yeah. And I could I couldn't do anything but sob to my husband. <laughs> um, unfortunately. So I I yeah, definitely I, think perspective's important. It is incredibly important. And Cancer definitely has a way of putting it, like you said, all in perspective. You know, you, you've you got it a lot worse off than a lot of people. And a lot of times you have it a lot better than other people. And, you know, it feels kind of shitty just to say it that way. I don't, I don't mean that to be in any way negative, um, but it, it throws you into a brand new community. And I, I do think that the one thing that I found was when you are able to find another another cancer patient in general, um, but especially another young breast cancer patient, it it brings you into the fold. You know, you feel like you're going to be well taken care of at least emotionally throughout all of this. And you know, women, like I said, women helping women is one of the most powerful things I think. I've ever experienced. And that was amplified by a lot going throughout all of this. And that's what we're going to do, Megan. Yes, ma'am. That's the whole goal here. (laughs) So um, if, uh, do you have anything else that you think we should add, Sam? No, I don't. Other than if you're recently diagnosed, uh, you know, reach out to somebody if you need to leave a comment and you don't have anybody, uh, leave a comment and Megan or I, or both of us will reach out to you. Yes, um, we will be checking them. We will, We are very excited for comments, suggestions, thoughts, anything that any of you want to hear about or anything that you want to correct. If we got something wrong, we will make sure that we uh, do a correction <laughs> on the next episode. Um, so thank you everybody for tuning in, letting us be a part of your day. We hope that some of this resonated with you and that you feel at least a little more seen um, throughout this. We are going to work very hard to touch on tons of different topics and issues uh, throughout all of our episodes. So please follow and please reach out in the comments or the links that we attach at the bottom. 
And we are really looking forward to hearing from all of you and putting out more episodes in the future. Exactly. And we plan on putting out a new episode each Thursday. So make sure you keep an eye out. And remember, tits up, ladies. You got this. We're all here. We're all a community. We are not medical professionals and are not giving medical advice. Everyone's experience with cancer is very different. And just because we did something one way does not mean that is necessarily the way you should do it. If you have any questions about your health and well-being, please contact your doctor.